0: Welcome, travelers. I'm Josh.
1: I'm Glenn. And I'm Lee Wanika. This is Tabletop Journeys, where we will be your humble guides along the journey to RPG adventures.
2: We are all D&D role players and storytellers at heart. It's where we started out, and it's where we find ourselves most at home. So here in our main podcast episodes, we discuss the core rules, how to use them as written, and how to homebrew your own content to get the most out of your story. Because detailed settings, heroic characters... Vibrant NPCs and a focus on story over rules is what makes a campaign legendary.
0: a message from friends of the show.
1: Snyder's Return is a tabletop role-playing game interviews and actual play podcast. We interview content creators, Twitch streamers and fellow podcasters and
2: we put out our own actual play using a variety of different systems. So come and join us, come and have a listen. You can find us on Twitter at Return Snyder. You can find us on
1: Instagram, Facebook or check out our website at www.snidersreturn.squarespace.com.
0: Welcome, everybody, to today's episode. Today, we are going to start another one of our class uh, our D&D 5e class discussions, and we're going to go with one of the uh, the classes that has been requested on pretty much every survey that we've sent out since we've been asking you folks out in the audience what classes we should be talking about. It has come in second, I think, pretty much every time since we started that. So tonight we're going to talk Warlock, uh, and we're going to go ahead and break this up into two episodes because I will say that Warlock is probably... There's a lot of things that can be said about the Warlock class, and one of them is that the Warlock class has a lot of nuance. There's a lot of ways that you can build a Warlock. Some of them are a lot better than the others. Uh, but we're going to start tonight with episode one, which is incredible invocations and powerful pacts. Uh, and then next episode, we're going to get into uh, our sub, our normal
2: subclass breakdown. I think, you, I think you hit it spot on when you are talking about all the options with Warlocks. It's the most sandbox class in the game. And I kind of like that they built it that way. It's complex and it's convoluted, but there's so many different things you can do with it. Uh, kind of like a cleric, you can build just about anything out of a warlock based on the options, is depending on how you choose to mix and match. It's a very kit class. It's an, all a matter of how you build it.
0: Yeah. And a lot of power in this class, just like in general. And I think that this is going to be a very interesting series of episodes because I'm not sure if the power in the class comes from the diversity or if it's the other way around, if the diversity comes from the amount of power in it. But Lou and Nico, what are your general thoughts about uh, about our warlocks?
1: I love Warlocks. I've played several. I intend to play more. I am currently playing one in a play-by-post game based on the episode that will have already aired a couple days ago. I truly love the class. And like Glenn said, they're very sandboxy. You can build them in multiple ways. You want to build something akin to a tank? There's a Warlock build for that. You want to build a very spellcaster-y spellcaster that has some neat martial abilities? There's a build for that. You want to build a utility monstrosity, a master of utility? There's a build for that. They've got three separate sets of options. And when you have three things that can be intermixed in any different combination, you have so many ways you can go. The only challenge with building Warlock is, once you start a few of these things, other than Natasha's Rewrite, you can't really change it and you can't really mix and match. So you really do have as a player to be very focused on the direction you're headed and the direction you want to go. So it does beg the, as a player, work with your storyteller to see what they're looking at and kind of come up with a common set of goals so that you're moving in the same direction to really make the class safe.
0: I I agree with all of that. I, I uh, uh, especially the bit about how you're kind of roped into some choices uh, from the get go when you decide that you're going to play a warlock and what type of warlock you're going to build within the first couple of levels. Um, that progression is pretty well
2: locked in. So I totally agree with everything. Really quick, I just want to throw out there for for anybody else who thinks about it like I do. I don't see that as a negative. Almost no. every character I play from the moment I before I'm done rolling stats and completing the character sheet at first level occasionally it does change i'm not gonna lie there there are some some changing horses in mid-stride that comes up occasionally but for the most part i've made a character concept down to a backstory and where i want him to go before we've sat down to the first session so interesting that didn't really seem like that much of a negative to me like if i'm going to play a warlock it's not just going to be I'm going to build them as I go. I'm going to come up with a concept in my mind about what I want them to be and the direction I want them to head. And I'm already going to have, like, I don't know, half of those choices planned out before we even get to the table for the first time.
1: I absolutely agree with you, Glenn. Uh, I don't want anybody to take my comments to mean that as a negative. It's an awareness. It's You need to be aware of the choices you're making more so than with other classes. It is not a negative. I actually think of it as one of the strengths of the class i feel the warlock has a lot of flavor even the subclasses that i don't care for that's next episode that much if you pick the right packed booms and the right invocations they can still be extremely flavorful and very awesome it's all about those those choices so it is it has these built-in mechanisms to bring forth that extra energy, that extra flavor, that extra je ne sais quoi, awesome <laughs> uh, with this character, and and more yeah. so in in that regard, more so than any others. You pick a subclass that's a little less than uh, not optimal, but a little less flavorful. You got to bring it all with just the way you role play. There aren't mechanics to support you here. You pick a subclass that ha- that's light on the flavor. There are two other sets of mechanics that can support you. And I think that's an awesome thing. You just got to know it up front.
0: All right. Let's go ahead and get cracking here because we have a lot of material to get through in this first episode. And we're going to start tonight with a discussion about the Eldritch Invocations. And we've gone through and we've picked out some of our favorite uh, invocations, um, and I would say that we all went through and, and picked out uh, our kind of least favorite invocation. Um, but I will say that at least two of us have picked the same least favorite <laughs> uh, in this discussion. So you know this might be a, this might be a class of thirty with you know one stinker in it. Who knows? We'll, we'll, we'll see what happens when we get there. But Lunika, let's start with you tonight. Give me one of your favorite uh, invocations from the list.
1: I'm gonna start with Armor of Shadows. I absolutely love this for a whole host of reasons one ac is boss in in combat encounters i really like it and i don't like the negatives that come along with having to wear certain types of armors. while a warlock can wear armors having the ability to freely cast no components no slots mage armor is amazing I'm playing a warlock that's got a 16 AC right now. And all I have to do is drop our armor shadows and I'm, I'm in like, you can't get better than that off the rip. No armor. It's really, really good. And warlocks have very limited spell choices. And so take getting something that's extremely useful like this at no cost other than the invocation, just top of the line stuff. Really, really good. So,
0: so I'm going to go ahead and and say something that I hope is not super controversial about how I went through these Eldritch invocations. Because there are a bunch of them that fit this model, right? Where basically a single invocation basically gives you a spell for free, right? There's yeah. a bu- probably half of them fit into that model. I found that that the spells that you could gain through that process were somewhat Arbitrary and just all over the map. Sometimes it was a first level spell. Sometimes it was a fifth level spell. Sometimes it was a third level spell, was a level spell. Sometimes it was a sixth level spell. Sometimes it was a sixth level spell, but you needed to be ninth level to get it. Sometimes it was a third level spell, and you needed to be seventh level to get it. Like it was, and so I, I was just looking at all of that, and I get that the warlock spell list is limited. I really do. I like. I understand that, and I just wish that. So I, I intentionally did not pick any of those for my favorite invocations, and and it's because I thought that if you're gonna do that, right? If you're gonna do that, just give the warlock the spells that you want them to have, right? It's like just give them access to it, like in, in any other any other spell class. And maybe this is maybe this is the way that they're compensating for the warlock having a small spell list. Is that you know wizards have to learn spells and they have to be in their book and everything like that, and so that's kind of the limitation on wizard spells and, and sorcerers are bound by spell points and things like that. So that's how they're limited. Maybe this is how warlocks are limited in the spells that they can have and the spells that they don't get that are that are on their list. It just it seemed clunky to me that so many invocations revolved around you get this invocation, you have to spend an invocation slot, which are not inexpensive for a warlock, and all you get is
2: a spell. So that was a really good rant. <laughs> I liked it. <laughs> And I don't completely disagree with it, but I do disagree. All right. I get where you're coming from, but it's not just that the warlock spell list is limited, right? I think one of the things that's overlooked about the warlock the most in terms of casters is their spell slots. Yeah. You can be a 10th. Eh, we don't have to go 10th. Let's go. Let's go smaller. Let's go. An eighth level warlock can cast three spells, three slots. Now that's per short rest, but generally speaking, parties for some reason are like, so adverse to short rests, it's not even funny. Everybody's like, oh my god, we can't take a short rest. What, we just got our asses kicked? We can't rest for an hour. Your poor warlock has burned all of his spells and nobody wants to rest. So all he's got left for the rest (laughs) of the day is Eldritch Blast and the fact that maybe he can cast Mage Armor at will. (laughs) If you choose them right, I think that those are hugely beneficial. And that's one of my favorites too, depending on the type of build you're going for. But I also really, really dig one of my other favorites, just to segue this into one of mine, uh mask of the many faces where you can cast disguise self at will without expending a spell slot effectively that's that's your ultimate spy face ability right there you can always at any moment you can walk around the corner and be a different person okay all right fair 24 hours a day seven days a week that's hot that's actually one of the key features behind desdemona one of the npcs we designed and you can check her out on DMS guild if you choose
0: to counter that, though, let me point out that Master of Myriad Forms, which is a 15th level Eldritch invocation, gives you a second level spell. Yeah, I think that one's crap. <laughs> so that's what I'm saying. It's like they're, they're all over the place. This is
2: why I didn't disagree completely with your rant. I only disagreed <laughs> with the first <laughs> with, part. With the parts that were right. Yeah. <laughs> it's not built well, they did not plan it well, but some of it's cool. I,
1: I'm going to say that it, it is very specific to the spell it's replacing. Some are awesome. The one you mentioned, Glenn, absolutely. My favorite, bar none. Yeah. When you couple that with the fact that the spell casting ability score is charisma. So not only do you get the spell, every every check that that spell is based to get on is a double effect because it is that thing. And if you couple that with expertise, no one will ever know who you are. Like you will just be a monster. I think you'd have to be a mastermind of some extreme level to even equal what a fifth level warlock with those uh, invocations could do. All right. Fair enough. And and Glenn, thank you. I I, I don't need to say any more because you said it all. <laughs> I love those effects because of the way warlock is built. It is about having a limited list and it's not too limited that list. And Tough choices too. But the fact that you only get a small amount of slots, it wouldn't matter if they gave you every damn spell, but people, Take short rests. Take
2: a short yeah. rest. It's not hard. <laughs>
0: that's, that's, real, that's really the moral of the story is take yeah. take more short rests. And
2: for uh, the
1: record, me, uh, you I, have I, I, two
0: two spell slots at eighth level. At eighth level. Yeah, not even three. get two. Yeah. Uh, and four invocations. So, you know, maybe maybe I'm yeah. you know what? Maybe I'm wrong. It's entirely possible. It's happened from time to time. I will say that one of my favorites, though, looking through this list and I think we're going to see this theme echoed kind of throughout this particular episode. There were two invocations from this same pact that I found and that uh, that were just incredible. And the first one I want to talk about is Bond of the Talisman. Now, Bond of the Talisman is a 12th level invocation. You can't get it until you're 12th level and you have to be packed to the Talisman, which makes sense um, because you have to have the physical token. But basically, it is an unlimited teleport between the Warlock, and whoever has his particular talisman with no negative and he can, and basically, and he can, the Warlock can give that out, give that talisman out Anywhere to any,
1: on the plane.
0: Anywhere on the plane. It yeah. is unlimited and you can do it over and over and over again. It's not like a, you get this once per short rest, once per long rest, once per day, once per century, over and over and over again. I can just be wherever you are just because. It's Absolutely incredible, and like like almost to the point
2: of being overpowered. Like the, like the if it wasn't
0: a twelfth level invocation, I'd be like, oh, okay, maybe
2: this is a bit much. Still a little strong, given the fact that it can be anywhere. Yeah. Either either the sign of the alt. I mean, you could give it as like a, a, a wedding talisman, but that'd be yeah. either the sign of the ultimate couple of you know bonding and trust. Or stalkerdom.
1: Yeah, when I when I looked at that particular I- invocation, what brought to mind was Star Trek, uh, the the newer movie uh, Star Trek Into Darkness, <laughs> and Bones and Spot, where he's like, "So you gave your girlfriend a tracking device?" <laughs> you know, it was yes. it, it was that type of thing. So uh, I guess what we're saying is, audience members out there, don't give your significant other. Your talisman for the purposes of that invocation. That's not cool. That's not cool. Uh, that's not cool.
2: And you'll have to go see your nearest cleric. It was just supposed to be a quick quip. I didn't need to get dove into that far to the point of Doctor Phil. But <laughs> all right, yeah. Let, 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 let's.
0: <laughs> all right, Levanika, Le- Le- you also had one from pa- Path of the Talisman on there. Which one did you pick?
1: So I should say I love Path of the Talisman more on that next next time. Uh, but I will I wanted to pick that one, but I thought it, we would do a great job on this uh, particular episode if we chose slightly different things and talked about as much as we possibly could. So I went with rebuke of the talisman. Again, not as good as the bond. I will freely admit that, but it's pretty darn spiffy. Basically, whoever has that talisman, if they are attacked, you get to drop some psychic damage on that on, on that individual. That's pretty hot. Uh, I believe if I'm looking at the information, you have to be able to see that go on. That's not anywhere in the plane.
0: Yeah, it, it's not anywhere, in the, and it's got to be within 30 feet. So basically yeah, it's, it's, it's within the battlefield, feet. totally. And, and psychic damage is one of those things that's not easily resisted.
1: And uh, so when you're able to drop that, that's awesome. Now, if you're a smart warlock and you've utilized X on whoever would might be attacking your party member who has said talisman, You're going to not only drop the psychic damage, but you're going to drop the bonus damage on top of that. Uh, You're leveling some hurt there. You're really leveling some hurt. Glenn, what else did you have? What was your next one?
2: So since we're working on the ones that go with the with the packs, I I do dig the chain master. I'm going to be honest, Mm -hmm. because I've always had a thing with for familiars and the investment of the chain master in particular is one of my favorite. If I'm going that direction again, right out of Desdemona. But. That's where I did my most warlock research was building her. So, but I mean, and it doesn't do anything epic. It's a whole lot of flavor, but I would spend, well, all right, it does do more than just a little bit of flavor. It's got solid abilities for your familiar, but I would spend an invocation on it. It gives you the, it gives you the ability when you cast your find familiar, you're giving them a flying speed or a swimming speed. You're basically adding util, utility to them. You're making them more of a companion, more of an actual usable ally. Uh, with a bonus action, you can have them make an attack, which is like the Beastmaster. Personally, as a, as a storyteller, I might rule that some other uh, means of training, like uh, for rangers, a lot of times I'll say you can easily train your beast to automatically attack the same target you're attacking without having to expend a bonus action, things like that. But that's up to you.
0: I'm totally with you though. I, I loved the chain master ones picked voice of the Chainmaster, which is again, another, um, it's another one of those like unlimited sensory addition. It has no range. It has no use limitations. It has no time limitations. I would think that for a pact of the Chainmaster warlock, uh, this is a must have, you know, you can communicate telepathically with your familiar and perceive through your familiar senses. As long as you're on the same plane of existence, period Vo- voice of the chain master is absolutely amazing. So yeah. Uh Luenica, what else do you have?
1: So I went with something that's much more standard. It is probably one of the invocations that many, many players, anybody who's been playing 5e for a while has probably seen a warlock with this. Since so many warlocks are packed of blade, I went with Thirsting Blade. Let's be honest. I and I really actually, as I was looking through this and doing my invocations, I saw, I said, man, that is hot. And I'm like, but I'm going to pass it. There's got to be something deeper. There's got to be a deeper dive that's even cooler or more than cool. And I pulled out a few. And other than the ones that, that you guys were speaking of, and I knew you were going to be talking about, I, I didn't want to go that route. I didn't want to double down. I didn't want us to all have the same things. So I, I really and I, I kept coming back to Thirsting Blade. And that is not to downplay it at all. It is exceptionally strong. And, it, and I and basically I have this to say, you want to hit as a spellcaster? Here you go. You want this. It is giving you an extra attack. Very yep. few classes get extra attacks in this game. I almost think not enough get extra attacks or enough extra attacks. So here you are. You're a pack of the blade. You're attacking. You want to get that extra attack. Here's your invocation. When you attack, you get a second attack. Done. It also has some other things that go along with it, but I mean this just this is solid. It's solid. You're if you're if you're hitting if you're using the things that you are likely to be using, i.e., I put hex and so my concentration's on that. And now I'm hitting you with my weapon. I now hit you twice with my weapon, and that means hex goes off twice you don't get a whole lot better than that. That's a lot of extra damage.
0: No. no, Thirsting Blade is sexy as hell. I'll tell you that for sure. I will say the Pact that really needs it though is Pact of the Chainmaster. Like Pact of the Blade has a lot of, we talked about it earlier, about how you can build pretty much any, any archetype that you want with Warlock, right? Pact of the Chainmaster needs that extra attack more so than I think Pact of the Blade does. But that's... Purely opinion. You're not wrong because if you're using
1: part of your attack for your companion, you need to get that extra attack. You're absolutely not wrong. It is a great yep. way to take one of the negatives of that particular yeah. uh, pack and reverse and, it, and, and reverse it, or at least yeah. make it neutral. I think that's that, that's a carbon neutral invocation. My point is that you can't take Thirsting Blade if you're
0: not packed to the blade. Yeah. you have to pack. The blade. So that, that that that's more what my point was: is that yep. really the
2: pack that needs it is not packed to the blade, but but on the pack to the blade front because it works right in there. And Lee was talking about hexes, and it was perfect. This is the direction. The Desdemona almost went before she became packed to the chain. She was going to be packed to the blade. Because she's a hex blood. So my last favorite, well, maybe not last, depends on how much time we have. My next favorite that I wanted to introduce is Relentless Hex. It's a seventh level ability. Mm-hmm. At this point, you can automatically teleport but to your target up to 30 feet away that's under the subject of your your hex, right? So you got a hex blade who has their hex. If you're a hex blood, you also have a hex. They're separate. They don't stack. But you can have them on two different opponents in two different spots on the battlefield. Do they both take concentration? Ooh, you know, I don't recall. I'd have to double check that. But if you can't, this is the theory, you could teleport back and forth between them. And I mm. think that that would be hot as hell. I mean, it's a bonus action to yeah. teleport, but...
0: And it's only 30 feet, too. You can only te- you only can teleport 30 feet, so I suspect... Yeah, it's not crazy if we're reading this Right. So I suspect if we're reading this, Rules is written, though, that if they're more than 30 feet apart, or i guess technically it would be 40 feet cuz you can be 5 feet from them kind of thing right so it's yeah. 30 plus 5 plus 5 but if they're more than 40 feet apart so if you can't teleport within 5 feet of them i suspect you can't teleport that's so uh, that that's i that's i suspect that's how the how the rules is written kind of approach to that oh, right. would be that that being said like uh i think that from a storyteller fiat rules as fun the ability to go ahead and teleport back and forth between two creatures that you've got a hex on yeah, that's sexy. I, like I thought, it. It, was, I thought yeah. it
2: was awesome. Yeah. But even without the back and forth, just you haven't closed the final distance. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the fight's breaking out. You've got your hex out as your bonus action. You don't have to use your move action. Well, no, because you need the bonus action to teleport. That won't be till next round. Oh, well, it's still cool. I like it.
0: It's you, you know what that is. That's the power that Samara uses in the ring, right? When she when she all of a sudden appears at you, like she's crawling out of the well, and then all of a sudden she's right there. Oof, that's, yeah. that's, the, yeah, that, thanks, that's that's the yeah that's that's the real thanks hex. for
1: that image. I, yeah, you're welcome. I'm, I'm going to need that yes. as we're recording late at <laughs> night. And when we're done, I get to go to bed. Thank you. Thank
0: you for that. <laughs> yeah, fabulous. Thank you so you're much. You're welcome. You're welcome. I'll make it a little bit easier for you. So the 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 last one that I kind of picked as far as the, the fantastic invocations in this list, the only comment that I wrote about this one was, damn, son. It's Eldritch Smite. This is, I'm a warlock. I am using, uh, it, so it's another pack. Pact of the Blade feature, and it's once per turn, when you hit a creature with your Pact weapon, you can expend a Warlock spell slot and deal an extra D8 force damage to the target, plus another D8 per level of the spell slot. This is really constrained. Like, now that I think about it in like, retrospect, it's really constrained by the fact that Warlocks don't have that many spell slots, right? That That is definitely... That's a big constraint on this. The ability to go ahead and roll a potential addition... Uh, a, a d8 of force damage plus a d8 of the spell slot that you're that you're burning to go ahead and trigger it. That's that could be a a large amount of damage. Plus, without a check, you knock your target prone if it is huge or smaller. So, just even the fact that you're knocking it prone without a check is is powerful. So, two d8 of so you 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 expend the spell slot. two d8. Automatically two d eight you by for wasting a first level spell slot and you knock the tar- the target prone like that's and again no
2: limitation the only limitation is the number of spell slots and with the warlock your spell all of your spell slots increase right so yeah you're whatever level you are that's basic that smite's basically just going to scale with your level that's stupid that that's incredibly powerful so, so. Uh,
1: and, and let, let's just double down on this warlocks have limited s- slots so you're going to hold off until you need it i e I rolled Elders Blast. I'm dropping a stupid ton of dice on a cantrip, and by the way, I happen to roll a critical. Oh yes, I'm Elders Smiting right now. Oh yes, I am. Oh yes, oh yes, I am. That's how you. That, that's how your cantrip deals ignorant, ignorant, ignorant damage.
2: Yeah, it like only it only works for your packed weapon.
0: Yeah. Right. Oh, which right. Oh, I'm and sorry. And I don't know that you could burn... I don't know that you could... Yeah, so you have to burn a spell slot, too, so you oh, can't okay. necessarily use it on a cantrip. But still, I mean, it's still... You hit with your packed weapon, uh, you hit a critical, right? You rolled a natural 20, so that's already that's already double damage, plus an additional 2d8, and the target gets prone.
1: Oh, I know. You use use a green flame blade or a booming blade. Let's get into the ugly of the invocations. This is the, this is the uh, invocation that tricks us. I have almost taken this two or three times with previous Warlocks I have played. It is one of those things that sounds really good because it is a ludicrous sum of of hit points until you keep in mind that you are stuck in one spot. Whoever hurt you is still standing there, and when you get done, they're just going to hit you again anyway because all you are is standing there. It is the most crazy thing, and that is, of course... The tomb of Lavistas. Let me put it to you this way, uh, folks. It's as simple as this: If your only way of saving your life is going into a tomb, you're <laughs> was going to die anyway.
0: <laughs> yeah, i've uh, I've never I've never seen an invocation that uh, that's uh, that said that it was limited that you could only use it once per short or long rest, and that that's a benefit.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, let's be honest. Unless your name is Laura Croft stay out of tombs. Stay out of tombs of annihilation. So you go there, you get annihilated. It's te- it's a terrible, terrible idea once you read all of the text. It sounds yeah. really good up front, but it's terrible once you read all of the
2: text. So it's 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 like Ice Block for the Ice Mage in WoW, but it doesn't have quite as much duration. I get the concept that they're going for. Basically, they're trying to give you a last minute fail safe oh, so that you have a second while the tank saves you. That's pretty much what yeah. it is. But yeah, for a fifth level ability, that's pretty expensive to have that as an invocation, which you get so few of. That's pretty lame.
1: Yeah. At, at the end of the day, a warlock is only going to get a total of eight invocations, right? If you had something going on where you are going to only have that at the end, like, man, I've done everything I wanted to do. I might as well take that. Or quite honestly, because Tasha's allows some rewrites and you can swap things in and out. I can see if you are role-playing a character and you're in tier four and it's like, hey, I really, really, really need uh, a saving grace and I'm not really using Devil Sight that much. I would swap out something like Devil Sight, which is one I like, especially at lower tiers. And depending on the campaign setting I'm in, but I would swap something like that if I knew this was the final battle uh, of the campaign, I might swap something like that out for this as a fail safe. Because if there's a lot of PCs roaming around and you had to do that, you're going to get a ton of, uh, of hit points back, probably more than you need by the time uh, you come out of it. And that, that could be useful. But it is such a limited, limited use for such an expensive, expensive thing. Look, if I had to choose between that and any of the nine other things that we talked about, the answer is I'm taking all of the other nine. And obviously, all the other nine, exactly. and, and, and obviously, I couldn't take all of the nine because some of them were pack-specific. But I would certainly take all of the non-pack-specific things and all of the things for a pack that I was using long before I took this one. I, I honestly, so I just took
0: a uh, look through the list to go ahead and see if I had something else to talk about other than the Tomb of Levistus as my least favorite. It's far and away the worst one. Like, it really is. Like, it's like <laughs> Tomb of tomb Tumulavistus might as well have just been called. turn myself into a fireball target because, (laughs) like, because like, like that—that's the worst part of it. Is that I can't move. I'm, (laughs) and I've got vulnerability to fire. Like that's that's a bad combination. The most common
1: kind of non-weapon damage you can get. Like everything,
0: I do fire damage. Like that's you know, Glenn. Do you have any any light to shed on something
2: else that might be that bad? So I have two for you. One is actually my favorite, but I saved it for this category because it's so hideous.
0: <laughs> I
2: love it. I love Cloak of Flies. Oh, that was just disgusting. Oh my yeah. God, do yeah. I love Cloak of Flies. As a bonus action, you can surround yourself with a magical aura that looks like buzzing flies. It's like the ultimate creepy urban legend monster guy kind of thing, you know, for it's like creepy. people out. Peanuts. Yeah and you get advantage on charisma for intimidation, because who wouldn't be? How could you not be intimidated? A minute ago, dude was standing there, now he's a swarm of insects.
1: I'll, I'll be honest with you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to uh, World of Darkness for a brief moment for our LARP fans that are out there. I relent. I freaking relent. I'm up out of here. <laughs> I am
0: intimidated and I will take my fair escape, please. Thank you very much. Yeah. <laughs> if I get
2: close enough to you, you take poison damage from my illusionary flies. I mean, and nobody can tell who you are. Like, it's a complete disguise, too, because you are f- completely obscured. Wow, that's kind of incredible, yeah. It, it's it's hot and gross and creepy as balls all at the same time. I love it.
1: <laughs> and by the way, perfect if you're doing some kind of hex blood uh, warlock thing or if you want to mix warlock if you're going to do dual class a uh, swarm ranger and a warlock who has this invocation is badass
2: badass See, and, and, and desdemona's original incarnation she was less spy and more terrorizing assassin collector of secrets and she was a hex blade with a double hex thing and she had cloak of flies but she didn't have mask of many faces and if you almost caught her and she didn't have anything to hide her identity That's what she used. But yeah. uh, But I do have a crappy one for you, too. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Crappy one goes right back to the thing we were talking about earlier, where some of the you get the spell isn't anytime you want it ability is hot and others are stupid. And it's Ascendant Step at ninth level. Why would you choose to be able to now cast Levitate on yourself at will?
1: Yeah. Don't Warlocks be, don't, can't Warlocks do that anyway? Uh, Maybe, but I know there's at least one subclass that allows flight. I guess
0: we'll get to that in the next episode. But yeah, no, I totally agree with you.
2: Like this is And that's just going back to that whole, like, they totally didn't think about how they balanced the level of spell they were giving the level when the ability came to some degree. And honestly, the usefulness of it. I mean, getting the armor, super useful for anybody for mage armor, armor of shadows, changing your appearance from of many faces. Lots of them are awesome, but some of them are meh.
1: I have a feeling that a lot of the design on the invocations was because we gave such a powerful cantrip, Eldritch Blast. because we gave that and we are definitely going for this, you get power from your, your patron. Uh, everything, all these things are thematic, right? So they needed something to basically fill in the gaps. And that's where invocations initially started. I have a sense that all of the non pack specific invocations were, let's fill in some gaps and somebody in some boardroom somewhere or some writer's room said hey how about if they fly they said no we're not given flying because our game's not that great when pcs fly on their own all of the time even though they then turned around and gave like at least one subclass for every class the ability to do it so he's like how about we go with levitate because that's like less than fly and like everybody's like Well, we'll pencil it in until we find something else that we hate less. (laughs) And somehow or another, they never came up with something they hated less. They just never
0: came up with something they hated less, yeah. Nope, totally agree with you. Okay, I'll
2: I'll, I'll buy that theory. It's as good as any I've got.
1: That's my headcanon on that. And forgive me, that's not a a down on the writers. Oh,
2: I almost jumped in on that one like, don't you start dogging on writers, kid. No, I'm not. Because, (laughs)
1: look,
2: hey, we write, the three of us write,
1: and there are times where we're like, that's not going to be great, but
2: it's a placeholder idea. Yeah, it's one of those three AM ones where you got to go pass out, but then later you never went back and checked it. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah, like yeah. we're
1: going to put a placeholder here, knowing mm-hmm. that we need to improve it or fix it in some way, and we'll get back to it. And at the end of the day, they just never got back to it. Burning an invocation slot for a spec first
0: at ninth level, uh, burning an invocation slot for a second level spell almost makes uh, your warlock. Uh, at ninth level, you know, take a three level dip into sorcerer instead because levitates on the sorcerer spell list, right? Become a third level sorcerer, sixth level warlock. You know, you still get a bunch of your warlock stuff. You're still gaining a bunch of stuff and you get access
2: to the sorcerer spell list. And so and charisma is still your main modifier for both. Yep. That's why that's why oh. I went there. I'm multi-classing yep. you know? a warlock and a <laughs> paladin. I'm telling you.
0: <laughs> take elder smite. Or a
1: bard, by the way. Bard would be cool there,
2: too. That's what I did with Des Mo- Desdemona already. She's a Bard College of Whispers...
0: Invocations. There's a bunch of there are a bunch more invocations that could be talked about. We'd love to go ahead and hear what you all think about uh, about invocations. Which ones did we get right? Which ones did we get wrong? Please leave those in the comments. Let's have that conversation because there's like 35 invocations. We did not go through all of them in this episode. Um, let's talk about the packs and the only packs that we're going to talk about uh, are the four official Canon packs. There are some that are in some UAs that have not been published. They're not in a the book. They're not in the, they're not in the list yet. We're going to be talking about pack to the blade, pack to the chain, pack to the tome, and Pact of the Talisman. Those are the four we're going to be discussing tonight. Dive into what we think are kind of the pluses and minuses of, of those various Pacts. Uh, Luanika, Glenn, who wants to start on Pact of the Blade? I guess I'll run it. Luanika, why don't you go ahead and start?
1: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Look, here's the deal with Pact of the Blade, and I, while I am going to cast Shade, I mean not to cast Shade. Pact of the Blade is one of the most well-liked and likely overplayed packs on the list. I would say the first 12 Warlocks I ever saw at a game table were all Path to the Blade. So much so that when I was first starting out with 5e, I thought that was the only thing these guys were. It wasn't until I went in and, re- and went to play one and I said, that is really cool. I love what it does and I want to do that someday. But I said, I don't want to be Hexblade number 1400. I wanted to do something different. So I went elsewhere and i have to tell you it is a great one you really have to understand how good this is it is probably one of the strongest mechanically driven uh warlock packs this pairs so nicely with anything you do like you could take this pack on any of the of the uh warlock subclasses and you will be stellar uh it will add a martial and ability it will add a survivability that is unparalleled from a combat perspective to any of the warlock subclasses
2: when paired properly, it, it is almost unrivaled. So I, I definitely agree. The pact of the blade is popular and it can be a little bit overplayed. I still kind of want to play one. I'm going to be honest, and I have not played a warlock yet, uh, but the concept of a warlock fighter, a charisma based fighter in the ways that you could, you could set that up. And some of the, ideas that popped into my head while going through all of the patrons, which we'll talk about in the next episode and the ways that it could work. I really do want to play pact of the blade. I straight up don't like one piece of it completely. You have to use your action to create your packed weapon in your empty hand. All right. So if you keep a sheath and sheath it, now you can take it in and out with an item interaction. But if you get a magic weapon and you bond it as your packed weapon and you want to shunt it into that extra dimensional space and then summon it back again, you have to still use your full action to create a packed weapon, that shouldn't be a full action. To make this, to make that work the way it wants to work, it needs to be a a less expensive action than yeah. a full action. I mean,
0: it definitely takes the players being aware of that limitation and calling that they're pulling out their magic weapon before combat begins. Right? Yeah. It's like before we start, before we roll initiative, before, you know, okay, everybody roll initiative. Hold on, before we get into the combat, I'm retrieving my magic weapon. Okay, you got your magic weapon. Right. That's how you go ahead. So get that out of the action economy. I think, but I think you're absolutely right. That, that's, that's like a limit. It's, it's, it's a limitation on paper. That's not a big limitation.
2: Right? Eldritch Knight can bond one to each hand if he wants to and summon them with a bonus action. Yep. I think the issue here is this particular pact, especially
1: when paired with the correct patron, is so strong that they put a limiter on it. And that was the limiter they chose. And like Josh says, it's, it's a difference without distinction. Because I have I have a player who plays a warlock. He plays Pact of the Blade. Let me tell you what he does. The party's having a conversation with somebody. Things are starting to get hot and heavy. Roughly two minutes before this should go to a fight, this dragonborn has his weapon in hand. Like, it's just blah, 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 blah. And he punctuates sentences with the appearance of his weapon. I mean, that's, that, that is how he says, I'm tiring of this talk. You know,
2: but oh, you could definitely still use it theatrically.
1: I mean, and and, and to, so much to the point where that as a limiting factor, while ever however clunky it may be, has never been an issue. I don't think there's ever been a situation where he lost an action in combat because his weapon wasn't at the ready. He's always at the ready. Uh, Tisnar, always at the ready. And, and so I,
2: I hear what you're saying. If I were a fighter, if I were a warrior who knew right? That if I got surprised, because it can happen no matter how good I am, no matter how vigilant I am, no matter how good a watch I keep and make sure that I dose all of my companions with extra coffee so they can't sleep so I can get extra, that at some point I could get jumped. And if I know that I'm going to have to concentrate for a minute before I can poop my weapon out, I'm going to have to carry a sword in a sheath too, just so I can draw it with an item interaction to defend myself just in case. And that's dumb. I'm sorry. It shouldn't be a full action. It means that as a warrior to be prepared, if I'm surprised, I now have to carry not my bound weapon, but an extra set of weapons just in case I don't have time to poop out a sword. I hear you. Uh, I don't disagree. Alright, I got a little vehement on that one, but yeah. when I was reading it, I reread it so many times going, why? Why are you doing this to me?
0: All right, Glenn, you said that Desdemona was a path of the chain? Yes.
2: Warlock, all right. So, talk to us about path of the chain. What is it? What do you think about that one? So for pact of the chain, I I dug it a lot for her in particular. And warlock-wise, it's kind of it's kind of like going a little tropey sometimes maybe when you got, you know, the the familiar going on with a with a caster. But even more so than, you know, like the wizards with the fine familiar spell. To me the familiar fits the concept of the Warlock class as a spellcaster a lot more than it does other ones. I think it like goes hand in hand. It's almost like when they designed these they were trying to literally come up with if you can think of those like dark, slightly mystical but not straight up sorceress or wizardly hero characters from different, uh, or dark hero characters from different movies and uh genres of film that you watch, like in League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, the guy who's bound mm-hmm. to his painting and he's kind of undying. Dorian Gray. I could not remember his name. There are so many ways that this class can be flavored but in taking the Pact of the Blade, right, and the Pact of the Chain, the Pact of the Tome, and the Talisman, it's like they specifically took, and I'm not Fond of using the term witch in this uh, this light, it's why D and calls them hags. But when you look at the stereotypical concept of the witch or the warlock, you know that that dark kind of creepy, sometimes maybe even voodoo-y individual. And they took all those tropes and they broke them down. So Pact of the Chain is the one with the blacked cat or the hyena or whatever its its bonded spirit animal is. Um, Whereas Pact of the Blade is that, you know, that creepy Slenderman guy who's going to teleport right in front of you before he gets you with his hook. And that's kind of where I went with Pact of the Chain, is I really just kind of used it. And it helped that I was kind of building a nefarious warlock at the time to get into into the darker side of the concept, to really envision the Pact of the Chain warlock as being like this person who's more than just a mage with this familiar. They're part of, literally part of them. Um, and part of the way that they think, part of the way that they operate, especially once you add some of the invocations like voice of the chain master, which we mentioned earlier, or even investment of the chain master to strengthen it. Some um, you're literally building a separate companion that also can run a double identity, whether it's a pseudo dragon, an imp, a quasit, or a sprite. And that's really what drew me to pack to the chain, like just that whole spirit animal concept. I may have taken that in a, in a weird direction, but.
1: Yeah, I, I love the Pack of Chain. I think it's a great addition. I think familiars are something that are pretty awesome in the game. I think they're very evocative of what we picture in fantasy novels, what we picture in fantasy movies, all the things that Glenn mentioned. Oddly, it is the one that I don't think I typically want to play. It's not my style. That it does not diminish it in any way from something I love and enjoy. And I think I could enjoy storytelling for somebody who played it. As a player, it's not my style. And so that's that's, that's my thing. But uh, there are so many cool parts about it that I think are just great to talk about. Glenn mentioned most of them. But I got to tell you, it, it's like once you combine this with those invocations that we were speaking of, like you are just doing things that are awesome. A warlock becomes a utility god on the table.
2: yeah, Or a ridiculously specialized specialist.
1: Yeah. I mean, look, in combat, Action economy is king. So if you're fielding an extra thing on your side, you got extra things, right? That's awesome. So now you got one more attack on your big bad. That's worthwhile. But more importantly, if you're using your familiar for all these unique things, spying, all these other neat things that you get to do, that's uh, really well done. All
0: right. So here is where, Lewinika, I am going to say the exact same thing that you did However, I'm going to come to a totally different conclusion. Pact of the Chain did not do it for me for all the things that you just said. And and here's here's where I'm going with that. Is that sure, okay, on face value, the the benefits of this pact sound great. You burn an attack, and your familiar can attack instead. Right? That's that's one of the kind of the key fo- key pieces of this atta- of this uh uh of this pact. However, warlocks don't ever get any more than one attack. Right? So unless you have again, like you said, unless you have an invocation that gives you additional attacks, you're not getting one. And then you can switch it around. So okay, so that you can you know you can allow your familiar to ta- to attack instead of taking additional actions. Right. So that that all kind of, again, it's like you're burning stuff to go ahead and let your familiar attack, but attacking is the least powerful thing that your familiar can do. Your familiar can do so many other things. Giving it an attack is never a good trade-off. It's never a good trade-off to go ahead and do that, right? Right. So using your familiar, you can extend the range of any spell by a 100 feet. Why would you have that familiar instead attack something for... You know, if it's a regular familiar, what, D6, D8 worth of damage if it hits on, something like that? Yeah, melee attacks no, are not the
2: familiar strength. Definitely not. It's
0: not a strength. But my whole point is that taking this bir- to go ahead and fix the action economy problem that this causes, you virtually have to go ahead. And this, I alluded to this earlier. You virtually have to take investment of the chain master to go ahead and fix the action economy. But now you're having to go ahead and take two things- you basically have to take two power slots which we all admit are limited for warlocks to go ahead and and get the action economy back in your favor. Warlocks are light on bonus actions, right? And so shifting the action economy to that bonus action is absolutely necessary to go ahead and free up the warlock to do other warlock things. You've said this before with when we talked about about rogues, Liwanika. When you're a rogue, you want to do rogy things. When I'm a warlock, I want to do warlock things, and I'm not sure that's not doing warlock things in order for my familiar to do bitey things is really what I want to be doing.
1: When I say uh, let the let the familiar do the attack, what I am talking about is there's a guard on the other side of the door. My familiar is a snake. It slinks under the door, unseen, because who's going to see a snake? Who's going to hear a snake? guard doesn't see it. Curls up at the, at the foot of the guard, and does lightning lure, paralyzing him for a round. We open the door, guard's paralyzed, we thump him, guard doesn't even get to speak. Done. I'm talking about attacking or using it to attack, but in conjunction with the spell. So I get what you're saying. The bite, no. The punch, no. The the claw, no. Using it to do those spells at range, around a corner, in these various uh, alternate ways and unique ways, I, that's where I was going. So uh, I get your point. I hear your point. You're not wrong. I was just calling all of those an attack. Anytime you're dealing damage, it's an attack to me, even if it's not an so, attack role.
0: Ha- having a familiar is better than not having a familiar. I will give you that much, but and to, this hack doesn't do
2: it. I'm, I'm not weighing in that I'm desperate to play a Master of Chain either, because I don't disagree that... The action economy on it isn't great. I built Desdemona that way because of specifically what I was creating as an NPC, and I love her. But if I built a Warlock, master, the the Pact of the Chain is probably not the Pact I would choose first.
0: So the next one that we're going to be talking about is Pact of the Tome. And when we get into the, the patron subclasses in a little bit here, you're going to hear me say the same thing. Here's the deal with Pact of the Tome, is that Pact of the Tome is is great on flavor, great on power, no problems there. Uh, It's too powerful. It's flat out too powerful because losing the book that you've got from your patron has no downside. It takes a short rest to get it back, and that's it. Uh, l- losing losing a book gifted to you from your, your pack deity should be a life-altering, quest-line-shifting side quest of all side quests to get it back or win favor of the person that you're getting your power from. It shouldn't be sit in the corner for an hour and think about what you did and write down, I will not lose my book on the chalkboard. That is no downside, right? Like, I hate that. I think that that is a huge knock on its flavor. The good thing about this is that three 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 cantrips from any class, nothing to sneeze at, right? But that it's, it's a huge mechanical side with, with, very, with very
1: little flavor, I think. So I'm going to counter your statement here because we've been on the same page for far too much of this episode. It's about time I throw some contrast <laughs> up, in, up in this. Uh, well, let me put it to you this way. Does the Pact of Blade, who just pulls his weapon out of the ether, if he loses it, uh, is it any less of an issue where he, as a bonus action, or as an action gets to pull his weapon from his god? This is actually worse than that. And while it has other implications, the weapon of a Pact of Tome Warlock is his book. His Book of Shadows is that. And what they're saying is that he's so in tune with it and so in touch with it, no matter what happens to the physical thing, he gets it
2: back. Part of him.
1: It's like you can't throw away the dark hold. You can't throw away the dark hold because if the dark hold's got you, it's got you. And I love that. I think that's one of the best parts about it. Not because it's too powerful, but because it speaks to it. It's the connection between the Book of Shadows and the character are so entwined that they cannot be separated. It's a weapon bond with the most powerful weapon this earth has ever seen,
2: knowledge. I love it. And the reason I love it is because you're both 100% correct, though you're probably going to argue for a few more minutes after I shut up. (laughs) And I say this because you both just gave perfect narrative reasons for why you feel that way. And the only difference is the story you would tell. And Josh's story, that (laughs) gift is a powerful representation of the patron's bond to you. If you're careless with it, oh, there will be hell to pay. And I can 100% back that story and get behind it. But that patron's got a dark, you've got a dark taskmaster, right? But I can also 100% get behind Lee's story because narratively the concept of if you've accepted this, this knowledge from me, once you've learned this, you can't unlearn it you know you own this piece of me but it's so attached to you that i own a piece of you too i can 100% get behind that too so i say well done let's write both stories and publish them
1: you know i, I don't want to i don't i don't even want to argue anymore that thank you that was solid yeah Straight yeah, up, no. that was good stuff.
0: In, in, in fact, Lew I will in fact say, you know what, you're right. It didn't bother me about Pact of the Blade. And I think that that's because I've got a master's degree that I've got way too many student loans on. That Pact of the Tome really like, like no, you don't lose the book.
1: <laughs> Look, I am sitting in a room. I have more books in this room than there are figs on the wall. Yes, yeah, nice. guess bad, <laughs> that's bad much, don't pay player. Very much. <laughs> I don't pay very much, but I got a lot of books in this room. And I got a lot of books in this house. I love it. You both love,
2: disagreed but, on a topic because you're great storytellers. I find that very ironic.
1: I appreciate
0: that. All right, Glenn's for for bringing us from the uh, from the from the brink of uh, of,
2: of World War Three. Talk to us about Pack of the Talisman. What do you think? <laughs> Reeled you back in. So Pack of the Talisman, I really wanna like it. And some of its abilities can make it cool. Like we mentioned earlier when we were talking about, you know, the ability to teleport. Because that is a hot ability at level that was fourteenth, right? Something about the concept of I I struck a pact with this darker power, and they gave me they gave me a locket. Just doesn't it doesn't fill my storyteller's heart with with uh, backstory and things to oh, write man. about
0: so i I have to admit so i've been I've talked about this on numerous episodes about how I am crafting this um this reborn uh based on a bad guy in my tabletop game based on Mumrah right um he is a pact of the talisman warlock
1: the ever living.
0: And so, and so he has these medallion. It has he has a medallion that he will give to his chosen champion. That basically, like you know, if you ever need my services, if you ever, if you ever find yourself, you know, if blah blah blah, right?
2: This whole like, speech that goes along with it, sort of thing. I've changed my mind already. Just since y'all's last narrative argument, listening to the stories you all told, and now rereading this with the concepts of what I could do with it, I've changed yeah. my mind. But continue. Yeah. I'm sorry to interrupt.
0: No, no, no worries. No, no. I mean I because I think that flat out uh pact of the talisman is the clear winner out of the four of them. I think you get extra dice on failed checks, it scales with your proficiency bonus, it requires a long rest. Uh uh, you know, so it's it's not it, it like it's almost let's lets me look over the rest for an hour and get it back flavor killer that apparently every pact has, and I just missed it. But uh I think this is a really, really cool path that allows the wielder to extend powers to another player or a sidekick. In various ways, through the the eldritch implications that it can take, um, I think there's a lot of power available to this particular
1: pact, and I absolutely love it.
2: I'm going to agree with you now that I've reread it, and it's it's definitely super cool.
1: My look at this was based on the fact that it was something I wanted to play so much. So this is the direction I'm going with the warlock I just started in a, in the uh, play by post. Oh, nice. Space. This is where I'm headed, and part of the impetus behind this was. I didn't want to be among the lead characters in the game. I'm new to this particular platform. I'm new to this medium. It's a game group I haven't played with before. So I want to get to know them. And I think the best way to get to know people is to support people. So for me, I wanted to play a utility type character who helps other people get things done. I wanted to be self-sufficient enough to be able to do things. So I'm pulling my own weight, but I wanted to be able to help people get things done. And I wanted to do it in a different way than being a cleric or, you know, whatever your standard utility healer uh, uh, utility character would be. So I thought that this was perfect, the perfect uh, pack for a utility warlock because I'm getting my dice at a certain level. I'm giving I have the ability to give the dice to somebody else. Now, I have to be strategic, right? I have to choose who's going to get it. And part of that will be based on the role play already four days into this play by post game. I've interacted with a couple of the characters more so than other characters. Right. So I can tell when we get to our first combat scene, after I get this, it'll be down road. You know, we'll see where we are. Look, it might be the fighter, but it may be somebody else, depending on what I expect from the scene. I have this unique ability to aid a specific individual. Or do certain things, those teleport abilities we spoke about, Mm -hmm. those reaction abilities. Look, if the fighter is going to be there, I want him to have it because now I get to level extra damage on the people that are surrounding the fighter. You know, that I love that element about it, and it really works with the character. I'm coming up with some neat, flavorful things, even though I'm not this packed yet. Mm -hmm. I already have a character design that has trinkets and necklaces and beads and things on him and i'm already talking about how he ta- he uh holds them grasps them uh uh now so when i get to those moments i'll be role playing it'll be an extension of the character i'm building and at the end of the day that's what we want you want whatever you choose to be an extension of what you are already doing not a brand new direction necessarily and and i think that this really hits all the flavor points and it has some pretty cool abilities as well.
0: I think that uh, uh, so we're, we're just about at time here for this episode tonight. But before we kind of close out here, let's, let's just point out, too, that Pact of the Talisman came from Tasha's Cauldron of Everything. The other three packs all came from the Player's Handbook. So I think that we once again see that the stuff that they put into Tasha's maybe had a little bit more thought maybe had a little bit better mechanics, maybe had better flavor, maybe was superior to the stuff that was in the player's handbook. So
2: They're advancing the game, so the newer book had some better stuff in it. Yep. Time to rewrite the PHP as a PDF. Don't make me buy it again.
1: But let me say this. None of these things are objectively bad for the packs. I think all of the packs are good as long as they fit your style. That's what I love about it. I think if you're playing the right style, if that's the character style you're good at or you want to investigate and work out, then that is definitively the right thing to do. You're going to find something that works for you. As long as you want to play a warlock, I think this the, the four packs cover most of the styles that are out there or that would work. And I think you've got it and you can run with it and go very far. All right, let's put
0: a cap on this one for tonight. We have more Warlock coming for you next week where we are going to break down all of the patron paths from uh, the Warlock class uh, in d d 5e. So uh, we will talk more Warlock with you at that point. Uh, gentlemen, thank you as always. Uh, hope you enjoy the rest of your evening and we will talk to you out in the
2: audience next week.
0: Thank you for joining us. This has been Tabletop Journeys. We would love to hear your feedback on our show today. You can join us at www.ttjourneys.com, where you can subscribe to the blog to leave comments and see all the content that we publish beyond the podcast.
2: And make sure you join our growing online community. You can follow us on Twitter at TT Journeys and join us on Facebook just by searching Tabletop Journeys there. You can also reach us by email at podcast at and if you want to catch early access to our episodes and some of the other benefits we have coming down the pipeline, you can also support our production at patreon.com slash ttjourneys. If
1: you're listening to us on Stitcher, iTunes, Podchaser, Spotify, Audible, or any other podcast platform, we would really appreciate if you would like and subscribe to the podcast. Full episodes come out every week on Saturdays and every Wednesdays. We'll feature our quest series, where we talk about pretty much anything tabletop oriented.
0: Thank you all so much for listening and for
1: being a part of our growing community. And in the words of another traveler on our path, we bid you shade and sweet water.